Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com, Container Journal, Security Boulevard, and uh, you're listening to another DevOps chat. Today's DevOps chat features Rob Sumsky, who is a uh, product manager at OpenShift with Red Hat IBM. Rob, welcome. Hey there, great to be here. I hope I didn't mess any of that up. Was it all correct? All correct, yeah, you did great. Very cool. So, Rob, uh, it's your first time on DevOps Chat, so welcome, number one. Number two, though, is I always like to start off by giving our audience a little bit of, of, of the uh, personal journey of our guest. So why don't we start with that, Rob, and, and tell them kind of how you came to be, you know, on the OpenShift team at Red Hat here, or Red Hat IBM, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so I started off in my journey kind of in uh, infrastructure working in the OpenStack space um, and quickly got into containers via CoreOS, where I was one of the very early employees. And we've been in, um, you know, kind of this next generation wave of infrastructure. Um, since the beginning, we kind of reinvented um, Linux and how you run containers there, as well as got very early into the Kubernetes ecosystem. Um, and one of the concepts that we introduced to that ecosystem was this concept of an operator. And uh, so I've been on kind of on the ground uh, since day one of that concept, helping you run um, more uh, complex distributed systems on Kubernetes, kind of uh, rapidly progressing past, you know, these very simple workloads into um, the things that everybody cares about. All the, the banks and insurance companies out there are running these really complex stateful workloads like their Kafka clusters and things like that. Um, and so that's kind of where my head's at these days. Um, uh, CoreOS joined Red Hat um, about a year and a half ago now. And so uh, we've been baking in a ton of the technology from CoreOS into OpenShift. Um, and so uh, really excited to be um, dealing with a lot of OpenShift customers and a lot much larger customer base these days. So um, as a product manager, I have a ton of folks to talk to about Kubernetes and it's really changing the game for a lot of our customers. Yes, it is. And not only your customers, it's just a game changer in general. But Rob, you you introduced the term operator, right? Mm -hmm. And not everyone in our audience is familiar with Kubernetes at this point and, and, and what the term operator means in that context. So why don't we start there? Um, You know what? Yeah. Let's make sure everyone's on, on the same level set with what an operator, what we mean when we say operator. Yeah, so an operator is um, taking a complex distributed system, uh, think uh, like a good example to use is maybe like a scale out MySQL, for example. Um, Picture, uh, you know, your organization um, has some DBAs and some developers um, that set up these types of systems and it might have a a caching proxy in front of it. You've got a um, scale out kind of read replicateer and then you've got your, your core cluster. And running those types of systems um, can be pretty complex, which is a lot of moving pieces. And if you think about um, when something goes wrong with that system, there might be some bash scripts that help you recover from it, maybe do a new leader election. Um, you might have a, a wiki page with a run book on it for what to do when you see these types of errors or and that type of thing. Um, so an operator is really taking all those best practices and that operational expertise and baking it into a piece of software. Um, and then that software under the hood is using um, the Kubernetes toolkit, all these um, capabilities that you have to run uh, containers in a highly distributed way um, and marries those two together so that uh, you don't have your um, human op folks running around, um, you know, doing this, this menial task of patching things, toil, failing over, um, making sure backups are enabled. Um, there's a piece of software doing all of that for you. And that's called the operator. 
Got it. So we're, we're not talking about a, a human operating. It, it, it's actually a software that, you know, that's, that's performing a series of tasks. Um, and Rob, you know, the, the, some people may want to call that artificial intelligence or, or AI or even you know, maybe there's a machine learning aspect to it. What, what do you feel about that? Um, well, I think you could use any sort of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, with one of these, but at the core, it's the experts in an application and how it should run. So, um, you know, we want uh, the folks from MongoDB Inc. to be uh, writing like a MongoDB operator. Um, if uh, the TensorFlow community wants to write an operator, which they have, um, you know, it's those human experts that know how the software is written um, because they wrote it are the ones that are embedding that knowledge. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, it is a, a very human-centric thing. It's that, you know, you have a core set of human experts that can then scale out to maybe, you know, thousands and thousands of people using their expertise via this piece of software. Um, so it's really a, a kind of a, a very human-centric thing at the end of the day, which is really interesting. Cool. Now, so let's say so I'm, I'm sitting out here listening to this podcast and it says, and I say to myself, Hmm, I, I use MongoDB and I use OpenShift. This operator might be something good for me. How how do you, you know, how do I go about getting that operator? Like rather than reinventing the wheel, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, and this is something that uh, we focus a lot of time and effort on. Um, so we have something called OperatorHub.io, which is a website um, that uh, features a set of all these operators, these high quality operators from all of these sources. Um, so you can get that at that web address, um, and that's uh, designed to work against any uh, upstream Kubernetes cluster. So, you know, it's, we're using open source APIs here, and so uh, these operators work against all clusters, so it doesn't have to be OpenShift. Um, but inside of OpenShift specifically, we have a version of Operator Hub that um, has uh, some operators specifically designed to work with OpenShift, as well as all those other operators. Um, so you'll find ones from MongoDB and Couchbase and Percona, for MySQL, um, some Kafka things, et cetera. Um, so we kind of got the full gamut of, of things you want to operate on the cluster. And uh, once again, it has all that operational expertise baked in from you know all the authors that are on that website. Got it. Um, are they all free open? Are some of them actually cost money? Or it's a mix. Um, so like the MongoDB one, for example, um, you uh, have a, a license to use that one. Uh, I think some other folks are going uh, kind of the freemium tier where you can uh, maybe like some uh, operators are writing storage to the cluster or running storage on the cluster. Um, you know, you can use up to, uh, you know, like a terabyte for free or something like that. So there's a lot of different schemes there. Um, and that's the nice thing about it is we want to help folks go to market um, to our customers as well. And so that's, we're building a big partner ecosystem there. And it really needs to work with any sort of business model you have, but um, there are a ton of open source ones that are just fully free to use um, that are really high quality. Got it, got it. Um, and, and Rob, you know, I, so we see a lot of this kind of stuff, right? We're seeing, you know, repositories of, of artifacts, of, of Java code snippets, of, you know, just so many, you know, different, so that people can reuse software, right, rather than writing everything from scratch. So, you know, we really shouldn't be surprised that we're seeing this in, with operators in Kubernetes. 
right? I, I think this seems to be the modern, you know, the way that the community, right, uh, leverages, uh, you know, others' works and, and making it available, whether it be for free or money actually isn't the point. The fact is, is that you don't have to rewrite code from scratch for every single thing you do. And, and I think that makes everyone's life a little easier, no? Yeah, you see this uh, in any kind of new wave of infrastructure, uh, or not even infrastructure, but just new wave of technology, whatever it is, is that mm -hmm. there's a set of early adopters that are key in kind of spreading the message and the virtues of those types of systems. And they all then, you know, the second wave of folks need to share all this knowledge because they're also still doing the, all the groundbreaking on, you know, there was the, somewhere there was the first person to run a database on Kubernetes. And then, you know, 30,000 other people need to do that. And so you see this, this community kind of foster, and that's the beauty of open source. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that, you know, in the next uh, infrastructure wave. But even, you know, Kubernetes is still pretty new um, and has a lot of uh, capabilities left to be unlocked. And so a bunch of folks are going to have to invent that and then share it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's also part of the low code, no code, right? Where, where the average application is 80% or more open source components stitched together. Why, why wouldn't we see it here? Rob, where, where do you think this whole kind of operator concept goes from here though, going forward? You know, how, how can it be, where, you know, what do you think the future holds with it? Yeah, um, so uh, think about this a lot. Um, and so we have kind of a model of um, maturity for operators. And so if you think about what the end state that we want to get to is what we describe in this maturity model, which is, um, these truly hybrid cloud services because, you know, you're just using Kubernetes APIs. I don't care where your Kubernetes cluster runs, whether it's on the cloud, whether it's on VMware, bare metal in a data center, um, any other platform that pops up. And uh, so, because you're just using Kubernetes at the end of the day. And so we've got all those great capabilities, um, but, you know, there's a ton that you can do to smartly auto scale services or to put some machine learning inside of there to do auto tuning based on the number of requests that are coming into this database, for example, or whatever it is, this messaging queue. Um, and so our maturity model, once you get towards the very end of that, picture like the smartest cloud service that you've ever seen. Um, you know, it's doing auto failover, auto backups, it's auto tuning itself. Um, you know, it's taking the desired input of a human and just making that happen in a really smart way without you having to think a lot about it. Um, so that's kind of the, the model that we want to get to. And so we're, we're pushing a lot of our partners and the open source communities to get towards the higher end of that maturity scale. And so I think that's where it's going, where you have these um, really, really smart cloud services, but they're running on any infrastructure that you want and targeting open source Kubernetes APIs. Um, so there is no lock in there. And so you have really the truly hybrid cloud is the vision that we're going after. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I, I got to ask this, and I'm sure you probably have heard enough of this from family and friends, but how, how does the closing of the IBM Red Hat uh, merger acquisition, how do you think that'll affect your, uh, you, well, your day-to-day -day and working with operators, and how do you think it, you know, might it have an effect on operators in general? Yeah, at the end of the day, I think we're going to keep executing on exactly what we're doing. Um, I think we have a lot of uh, interest from the IBM side on building operators. Um, they're already doing this internally. Um, we have a lot of um, kind of uh, pieces of software that we're collaborating on in the open source already. And so I think all that will just continue. Um, but, you know, the unfortunately, the boring answer is we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, and, you know, that's pushing this operator ecosystem. And, you know, they'll just be a big part of that. Sure. Um... 
You know, one one of the nice things about being open and with Kubernetes, especially like, let's say, when we deal with databases, is, you know, I grew up in a time where it was all Oracle or DB2 or or MS SQL. And, and, you know, if you were a rebel, you were using um, not Microsoft SQL, uh, MSQL. The, the one that Oracle bought, and I'm having a brain freeze at the moment. But really, that was kind of, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, that those were those were the main choices. There were others, but those were them. You know, we live today, world, Rob, in a world where there's so many choices for how you want to, you know, what kind of database you want to use, um, you know, and what, what they all have their pros and cons and, I mean, data is at the heart of it. But at the same time, we're also seeing, you know, storage becomes not negligible in, in terms of price. But, I mean, the cost of storage is, is is so minuscule compared to what it was. You know, do all these choices from an operator working in Kubernetes point of view, right? Is it more complex because there are such, such, you know, kind of balkanization of how we store data? I think data does really matter. I think you, you nailed it there. Um, and it's, you know, less of a um, cost, but more of like the data gravity when, you know, you want to do um, run a database across two different clouds, for example, you start worrying about the, the IOPS and throughput and the cost of that bandwidth, not necessarily like storing the data. Um, and I think that's where we'll see operators be really useful is in that kind of uh, multi-cloud um, model because you could maybe start picking um, the clouds that have the best throughput and auto-balancing to there versus another one or something like that or, you know, going by price. Um, and the exciting thing about operators specifically are uh, is that they can really help you pick up a new database, for example. So say uh, one is way more efficient, uh, either they're storing data or uh, the throughput or whatever it is, um, is that you can start prototyping that very quickly because remember, you don't have to be an expert in that new piece of technology because the uh, the authors and the experts have embedded that in the operator. And so, you know, in a self-service manner, you can just um, create a new workspace on a Kubernetes cluster and instantiate one of these new databases, hook it up to a, um, you know, a sample app that you've deployed and start messing around with it. And you don't have to do, um, you know, anything uh, related to bringing up, uh, bringing up infrastructure because it's already in the Kubernetes cluster and you don't need to be an expert in that database. And you can really have some um, time to first value there is very low, which is really great. Um, and, you know, picking up a NoSQL offering for the first time, for example, might be a good uh, use case for this. Absolutely. Hey, Rob, we're, we're, we're coming up on the end of time already, but just wanted to, you know, KubeCon or the next KubeCon, uh, Cloud Native Con is uh, in November in San Diego. And, you know, we're already starting to see call for papers talked about. And, you know, I know we're making plans here to go out and cover uh, KubeCon once again. Um, where do you see, you know, do you see this kind of rising on the visibility chart, maybe at the next KubeCon or the next gathering of, you know, at Cloud Native? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're submitting a ton of uh, papers for um, that. So we hope that those get accepted. Um, but it's really been the buzz of KubeCon um, for uh, the past few times. So, so we um, go to all the KubeCons. We just sent folks to Shanghai who just got back. Um, I keynoted about operators at um, the last uh, EU uh, KubeCon in Barcelona, Barcelona. and before that um, mm-hmm. in Seattle. 
So um, it, I think it's going to become bigger and bigger. And, you know, as uh, more uh, software companies are offering their services on Kubernetes, um, operators uh, really make sense for them because they can target the entire ecosystem. Um, so I say to all of these uh, partners that I talk to is if you want to target Kubernetes, building an operator gives you access to, you know, every cloud, every uh, piece of bare metal running Kube. Um, and that's a really powerful thing for go to market. Absolutely. Hey, Rob, I want to um, thank you for being on our show today. Okay. And um, you know what? I maybe as we get closer to November, maybe once the, the talks are in the schedules are announced speakers for uh, Kubernetes in September or in November, we can uh, revisit and maybe give people a preview of, of uh, what they might see in, uh, in San Diego. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Rob Sumsky, prod, product manager for uh, OpenShift with Red Hat IBM. Thanks for being our guest here on DevOps Chat. This is Alan Schimmel from MeteorOps, DevOps.com, Container Journal, and you've just listened to another DevOps Chat. Thank you.